Welcome to Top Picks, a breakout investor podcast. In this, our inaugural episode of a new podcast called Top Picks, we are interviewing Mark Gomes. We'll be learning what names currently occupy the top spots in his portfolio. That is, what are Mark's top picks? Joining me on today's call to ask questions of Mark about his top picks are Aaron Warwick and Brian Robson. Over the next 30 minutes, we hope to discuss two or three names that should be of long-term interest to all breakout investors. And then at the end of the podcast, Mark will tell us what he believes is the most timely trade right now, what company or investment he is focused on today. But first, a disclaimer, no one on this call is an investment advisor and no one is providing investment advice. This podcast is for information purposes only. Before investing in any company stock, you must do your own research. Supporting materials for today's discussion will be posted on the Breakout Investors Discussion app, which is located at app.breakoutinvestors.com. The application and much of the research content is free. After registering and logging in, use the search bar at the top right of any page. Type in a ticker, SMSI for example, and the results will give you a link to the research post with this podcast and to other discussion and research relating to today's companies. Now over to our featured guest, Mark Gomes. Mark, what is the number one stock in your portfolio today? Uh, that would be Smith Micro, SMSI. So Smith Micro is a software provider of solutions to the carrier space. Think Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile. Those are you know, major U.S. carriers, for example. And Smith, for the past uh, three decades, has been providing software solutions that uh, can be leveraged by multiple carriers. So they develop it once and sell it many times. Uh, their most recent foray has been into the area of family safety, uh, which includes location, parental controls for your uh, you know, mobile devices, and um, now driving. You know, we're at an inflection point, in my opinion, where the large carriers are going to be utilizing a large suite, new suite of uh, products provided by Smith. Uh, and currently the stock is sitting at what I call a risk reward low. I, it's well known that uh, Smith Micro is one of uh, the most favored stocks in the community. Mark, how long would we have to go back uh, to find a time when Smith Micro was not one of your top picks? Oh, Smith has been one of my top picks going back to 2017 when I first bought the stock at $1.35. And uh, since then, it's been, uh, for those of you who like charts, I'm more of a fundamentalist myself, but I do look at the charts because uh, a lot of folks do. Um, the stock has been moving in a very predictable chart pattern that's been uh, rising at more than 50% annual, uh, annually since that time. So um, uh, what I would note is that each time the stock has hit its risk-reward low, uh, which has occurred four times over the last four years um, on my watch, the stock has gone up at least 100% each time from those levels. And uh, we're, we're bouncing off of that now. It's been a great uh, opportunity for folks to take advantage of uh, the recent price weakness to, to build up a stake. Um, when I when I first started learning about the company last year, I, I did my fundamental analysis, and uh, this thing has got a lot of, of room above it. You know, any any sort of software company with ninety percent gross margins 
and this one with uh, the carriers as its major customers. So we could see a lot of revenue pumping through this thing. And off of the current 550 stock price, you know, I, I think a triple is, is, is really the starting point to think about what could happen here. Yeah, I agree yeah, with you, Scott. Um, and if I could ask a question, interject here, though, I wanted to talk to Mark about this. So you mentioned the 90% gross margins, and that is, is what uh, Smith has done historically since SafePath, their, their, one of their three main products, has become uh, the predominant source of their revenue. But after this uh, most recent acquisition they made, the, the uh, gross margins have come down. And, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit with Mark. Uh, uh, still impressive gross margins, don't get me wrong, but not 90%. Um, and so, Mark, what do you think as it relates to those margins that we'll see here in, in the near term and then even over the long term? I would say the near term in the next year and then beyond that. What's your expectation? Well, you know, it, it's software, right? So, you know, once you've developed it uh, and absorbed the cost, however you might account for that cost, whether it's expense in the R&D up front or whatnot, um, you know, there is no real cost. It's software. It gets delivered electronically or it's installed. Uh, at the customer site. Um, so, you know, there's a reason why software gross margins tend to be 90 plus percent. So in the case of Smith with its acquisition, what I think we should be all looking for is for a unification of the code base where they'll take the best of Smith and the best of location labs, merge those together. And you're gonna, you'll, you'll see a, a movement back towards that 90 plus percent margin uh, levels uh, in, in due time. Yeah, and I think even in the short term, um, so you, you talked about the, the unification of the best of, of both platforms, uh, Location Labs and SafePath. I totally agree with that in the long term. But I think even in the short term, my understanding is that uh, Smith Micro, they're going to be migrating uh, some of the stuff to the cloud that Location Labs was doing. Um, in an old school data center type environment. So I think even in the near term, I think those uh, the margins from that location lab side, which is the contract that they have with Verizon and AT&T, which is going to expire. But uh, I think we'll see better margins on those as well. Uh, do you, do you right. agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. That's an astute observation that most wouldn't pick up on. There was, a, there was an infrastructure component of what uh, Smith Micro was, um, what location labs was supporting that uh, Smith Micro is going to migrate away from and go to, uh, you know, their traditional means uh, of delivery. And could you talk a little bit about what happened this week? We've seen the stock price jump up. Um, I, I think I know why that is. What, it, what is your thought about why all of a sudden, you know, the stock was kind of just dangling around that, you know, 490 to 510 area. And we saw a pretty good pop even as high as into the 570s this week. Yeah, well, there's there's definitely an anticipation out there that um, the launch of Safe Path Seven and their driving solution is finally imminent, and uh, I think that excitement um, is now reaching a fever pitch. There's plenty of buzz coming out of the company in that regard. Um, you know, I'm I'm more of a intermediate term investor. I'm I'm not a day trader, and I'm not. Warren Buffett, uh, you know, so I am opportunistic. I, I do look at, you know, I tend to make investments on a, you know, one, two year uh, outlook. And then I revisit this one I've been in for four years. And I, every time I revisit it, it looks like I'm going to be back, you know, stay with it for another year or two. Yeah. Um, you know, so from that, 
from, from that standpoint, you know, I've been a, a holder and a buyer as the stock has come down, um, feeling confident that there is no other solution for the carriers out there. Um, but most people like to wait until they see the whites of their eyes. And here we are. And yeah. it seems like the, the data points are all lining up uh, for an imminent launch within weeks. Yeah, I want to get back to that what you said about the you know them being the only provider. But before that, I, I want to clarify because you know Mark and I run around in a lot of the same circles online, and I took some heat, you know, because I've traded this around more than than Mark has. The advantage of uh, not having as much money. Uh, very, very rarely is there an advantage of having less money, but one of them is you can be more nimble. Uh, I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't like that location labs deal initially. Like I liked it long-term, let's put it that way. I liked it. I liked it a lot long-term for the reason you just mentioned about the, uh, them being the provi- the only provider. Uh, I didn't like, um, you know, I thought the stock would suffer in, in the short term. I thought it was going to drag some things out a little bit. Stock price did actually drop. Um, and, and I got back in it, you know, in this $555 range and have been accumulating. It's now my second largest position. I'm actually, I think, more excited in the short term than you are, Mark, because I've I've been anticipating that this T-Mobile launch, which has sort of just been hanging out there as a possibility for like two years or more, been pushed back for reasonable excuses. I mean, not just COVID, but then you had before that you had the merger with Sprint T-Mobile. I think there's going to be a lot of excitement when this thing actually, you know, assuming it does get. Uh, announced and there is a launch, I think that's going to excite investors. I think they they all know that long-term potential is there if and when that deal gets uh, done and, and launched. But on top of that, then what we heard this week was about um, the Safe Path Drive that you mentioned. And there was uh, some sort of a conference that, that Smith Micro held and, and someone, uh, a company representative on that call mentioned that the Safe Path Drive would be launched with a major carrier, I forget the exact verbiage they use, but with a major carrier, um, I think they even said like a household name, um, probably by the end of the month and that they weren't gonna announce that until it was launched because they didn't wanna steal the thunder from the carrier. So I think that would be just, I mean, that could really send the stock up. What's so encouraging about that is it indicates that the carrier is gonna be promoting it. That's been one of the questions uh, with respect to the new contracts. It's one thing for Smith to offer a service to a carrier. It's a completely different thing for the carrier to pushing that service. And if, if it does come through like it did with Sprint, uh, the numbers are, are pretty significant. Well, and I right. think also yeah, and- if it ends up being Verizon or you know, AT&T is a real, uh, not a likely uh, candidate from what I've heard, but if it's Verizon, uh, that's doing this safe path drive, then I think you're, you're talking about a grand slam because we're all pretty certain based on what, how the company is guided that they will eventually, T-Mobile is a matter of when, not if. And so if this shows that Verizon is, is truly interested in, in offering more robust family safety products and they're doing it with obviously now with Smith then you're talking, you know, two carriers in the bag that are really interested in this. And, and I mean, you know, realistically, like Scott said, $15 a share is just a starting point if that that happens. Right. And that's right. The And this is something that I've been saying since the stock was $1. So, you know, none of this comes right. as a surprise to me. So, you know, when you talk about excitement level, um, somebody who will be more nimble, such as yourself, will get more excited at these levels. I get more excited about these levels because 
my target price has remained the same and the stock is cheaper. So, you know, when the stock was seven and a half and I thought it should be 15, I thought it was a double from that point. Um, but now that the stock is five, well, 15 is a triple. So I'm more excited because of that. But my thesis remains the same um, as it's been for the last four years and, and throughout the stock's uh, rise is as they get into these carriers, um, especially with their IoT expertise and an expanding uh, array of offerings under the safe path umbrella, uh, they are going to have a multi-year uh, run where they're going to be able to provide more and more solutions, uh, which comes with it a higher and higher price to uh, the end customer, which you know provides more and more revenue per customer to Smith Micro. Um, you know, as far as uh, getting an indication that T-Mobile will uh, be behind this and market it heavily, this is something that's been known uh, by me for for quite some time, mainly because the team at Sprint that was pushing the product very successfully moved over to T-Mobile and uh, the indications coming out of that group was that uh, very clearly T-Mobile plans to follow the game plan that Sprint was following and uh, therefore we should expect the same level of success but now with an entity that's two and a half to three times larger than Sprint. Uh, which was strong enough to provide a 10 cent quarter uh, along the way before, you know, uh, we had COVID and a few other things kind of rock the boat a little bit. So I would expect that we're going to see Smith very quickly get up to a $1 EPS level. And that comes with it, a very strong uh, recurring revenue, uh, very strong customer base. Once the customers get in, you know, once you get into a carrier, you almost never get ripped out. And that's part of yeah, the reason they tough. have to buy low key. That, yeah, right. that's, and that's exactly why, they why to... they're in this situation, right? Hey, I wanted to right, question that's... you though about that. So here's the only thing I said, it's my number two position. Obviously I'm highly bullish. The only thing that's kept me from going like, you know, overweight on it is this. Um, and I want to get your, your feedback on it. And uh, so T-Mobile just recently released uh, a sync up tracker. And it appears to me that uh, even from talking to a representative from Smith, that they're not involved in that, at least not at this time. I had a yep. uh, colleague uh, who did some research, went to a store that had been a Sprint store that uh, did real well selling Safe and Found, which is Smith's product with Sprint, and said there was a pretty, pretty good size sync up display that had a tracker and the sync up drive and sync up something else. And so that's my only concern as it relates to T-Mobile and Smith micro and keeps me from, you know, what I would call over allocating, uh, meaning that I'm going temporarily, you know, over what I would consider a normal allocation because I think the near term is so bright. What, what are your thoughts on that and how that plays into this? Sure. Well, on the sync look, up, the sync the, up. Sure. There, and, and I would, I would broaden that out even further. Okay, because their 5G is enabling uh, innumerable opportunities for, for, for the carriers to provide new services to their customer base. Um, and, and that cannot be understated. Okay, um, the actual provision of carrier services, in, in, and we all know this, 
We do phone calls on WhatsApp. We do it on Facebook Messenger, et cetera. Uh, we know that Google, Tesla, any number of folks out there are looking to provide cheap internet service, which, uh, and if it's ubiquitous, which is what the, the goal is, worldwide, a worldwide uh, Wi-Fi, right? Once we have worldwide Wi-Fi, there's no need for a carrier anymore in terms of, you know, the traditional cell phone service. Um, they know this. And just like Comcast identified their potential demise with the advent of internet over the top video streaming, at that point, they started buying content more aggressively because they knew that that would be their salvation. Similarly, the carriers are going to provide content, these kinds of services. They're not going to bank on just one they're going to provide many in, in, in many cases, the same category, they'll provide overlap and let's see which one, you know, the customers like. So if one customer wants sync up, they'll take sync up. If another customer wants Smith micro solution, they'll take Smith micro solution. Um, the point being though, is there's 300 million people in the United States and 7 billion worldwide. So, um, you know, Bottom line, they don't have to have a monopoly. They don't even need to be the majority winner for this stock uh, to be a multi-bagger. And, and this has been the case for a long time as well. Right. Thanks for that, Mark. Nothing I really wanted, to, really wanted to hear your thoughts on that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if we're ready. I mean, I was. I really wanted to hear that. I, I was one interrupting when you were talking about your excitement level. I thought that would be a good segue into your another one of your picks, you know, Tech Precision, since on the calls, we're often having to try to gauge uh, Alex uh, Shen, the CEO's excitement level. Are we ready to, to move on to that? Or do you have anything else on Smith Micro? Sure, we can move on. Launch us into yeah. uh, your number two pick, uh, which I guess is Tech Precision. Uh, yeah, and I, I try not to rank them in any uh, particular order. Um, but in, in terms of you know, right now, who, you know, if I was starting my portfolio over right now, um, certainly, Smith and Tech Precision uh, are most enticing because of their combination of uh, valuation, uh, near-term catalyst, uh, you know, and, and the and the fact that the the sentiment has been very low on on these names. So, in the case of Tech Precision, similar to to Smith Micro, uh, investors have been waiting, and investors don't like to wait. So, the stock has uh, drifted off of its prior highs. Uh, it's been just kind of sitting there in the low 120s as you know, investors you know, wait for these military orders to tick up and for a transformative acquisition to close with Stadco uh, is the name of the company. That acquisition, uh, the closing of the acquisition was stalled by COVID factors which I now believe have lifted for a long enough period of time that I could say with pretty good confidence that the Stadco deal, in my opinion, will close and it will close within the next few weeks. So with the stock uh, sitting at the lows where it is right now, similar to Smith, we have an imminent catalyst. I don't want to take the chance that the deal closes tomorrow and the stock opens up 
Uh, so, you know, why not hold the stock for, you know, if it's two weeks or four weeks uh, to, to wait for such a significant event, that's a high probability bet to occur, as is the case with Smith and um, in this case, TPCS and the Stadco deal. Mark, I like how you anticipate my questions and uh, answer them before I get them out. Uh, one, of the, one of the questions that I have is, uh, if you look back at the original press release announcing the acquisition of Stadco, that's October 20th, they actually, uh, for this company especially, <laughs> do, do a pretty good job of identifying uh, the reasons behind the acquisition, what they view as some of the, the potential synergies um, and as a reminder, I think the, uh, the revenues, and though they were old for Stadco, were just over 16 million and a backlog was 17 million. TPCS's acquisition price is a million shares plus some level of reduction in $14 million of assumed liabilities. So essentially, at one time revenue, I'm curious why you think Tech Precision was able to, I'll say, be the only suitor for uh, for this company? Yeah, well, you know, you, you have a, any combination of factors that will drive uh, who makes the most sense to acquire another entity, right? And so in this particular case, you have um, a small size. So you're not gonna have one of the large uh, contractors be particularly interested in this. Uh, TPCS is a smaller contractor. Um, from what I understood, Stadco wasn't particularly well operated, and um, Alex Chen is, is very well known for his operational excellence. And in addition to that, TPCS, from uh, what I've picked up, has a very nice reputation uh, with the military customers. So it makes a very nice fit, not only in terms of size, but I think it will make the uh, not only the end customers, but also the, the contractors themselves, are very happy with this subcontractor, especially considering there's been issues in the supply chain uh, in the past with regard to uh, subpar uh, material work that actually can really clog up the supply chain. There, there was actually one supplier, a competitor of TPCS, uh, who provided faulty hatches, and it essentially ground the whole submarine program to a halt. That's something you can't afford, you know, for something as uh, simple as, seeming, seemingly simple as a hatch, right? So uh, with TPCS, they have a great reputation. Uh, this is not something that has happened to them before. And so you see the competitor kind of um, falling out, you know, exiting that part leaving all of that business to TPCS and, um, you know, their favored status amongst, amongst the contractors as, as a very precision, for lack of a better word, oriented subcontractor. What do you make though, Mark, of the fact that, I mean, I'll give Alex Shen credit, you know, what he, what he's done at Tech Precision, but now you're talking about, you know, he was, he's there on site with them. Now you're talking about a company that is located and obviously can't be easily moved uh, clear across uh, the entire country. And so he's not going to be there all the time. It's, it was made clear to me that, you know, Alex is not going to be leaving. He's not going to be there on a daily basis. It probably won't even be there on a regular basis. Hell, it's been almost a year 
since they announced this deal and he's maybe just gotten out there now. So, uh, you know, why, why do you have confidence that Alex is going to be able to do that, uh, you know, uh, operational wise when he's across the country? Yeah, you bring up a great point. Um, the cross country acquisitions have challenges and, and there's no, no two ways around that. The thing that I see in this particular case is, and certainly that challenge is you cannot have two Alex's. Um, on the flip side, this isn't a case of two companies where you, where it's important for the cultures to mesh together. Um, and nor is it a case where the operational excellence uh, is something that's extraordinarily difficult for a known operator to, to handle. So in other words, I see this as a situation where Alex goes in there, sees what the issues are, and based on his experience and expertise, says, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. This, 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 and this. This is what it needs to be. This is what it needs not to be. Here's who's in charge of, of doing these particular things. Here's who's in charge of getting rid of these particular things. And let's have a meeting every week to see you know, how you guys are progressing on that front. So I, I don't yeah. think he needs to be there on a regular basis. I think he just needs to be there long enough to uh, identify how the Stadco differs from what he's done at TPCS. And what are your thoughts on the um, uh, issuance of shares that they're going to be required for them to have enough cash? I mean, that's one thing that concerns me. It'd be one thing if they were, you know, if the stock was still at the highs that it had around the 160, 170 area, but down here lower, they're going to have to issue more shares, uh, presumably to get enough cash to, to settle the deal. Yeah. Well, so, you know, one thing you have, uh, that's really helpful if you're an investor is to really understand the management team that you're dealing with. Um, you know, a lot of investors like to stare at the screen all day and, you know, uh, fret over you know, one thing or the other. Uh, one thing, if you get to know the management team and you get to know the strategy of the story, you don't have to worry about all of that. You can say, okay, here's the situation. Do we have the right strategy in place? Do we have the right people in place to execute what uh, we're hoping the company will accomplish? And in regards to your question, in Alex Chen, we're not dealing with a spendthrift, you know, uh, a, a profligate spender, I should say. He is the opposite. You know, he's not the kind of person that's going to uh, put undue pressure on the company financially to make a deal unless it makes tremendous sense. So, you know, while it would be nice if he was the type of CEO that was out there and getting shareholders excited and making sure that less shares need to be uh, issued for the acquisition, would I prefer if that was the case? Yes, of course. Um, but nobody's perfect. You know, he did bring them from the bank of, brink of bankruptcy, and he does have the skills to make the Statco acquisition work very well for TPCS. And so I have no uh, trouble putting my faith in the fact that he's going to do it at the proper price. 
And that's about all, all we can, that's all you can do in these cases. I would just throw in that there's no guarantee that the company's going to need a significant additional cash. It's possible that they'll assume some of that indebtedness. But, but uh, as, as I'm thinking about it now, as I recall, when they issued the original press release, they said that the existing Stadco indebtedness would be paid down with TPCS equity. Is that what your question was about, Aaron? Yes. So the question is, how much will they have to issue? Yeah, and what, and what kind of concern uh, that would be in terms of the how it impacts the share price? Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think the thinking is that this is potentially. I mean, if, if if they're going through with it, they think it's a highly accretive deal, and we're only talking about a couple of million dollars. So they're they're buying it theoretically for significantly less than it's worth. So in that sense, um, whether they assume a little bit of indebtedness, whether they raise a little bit of capital, or they issue a couple of million shares. The key word is theoretically. And, that, yeah. that, and that's the problem that I've had with tech precision, why it's now more of a speculative position, because, you know, there's been a lot of theories about tech precision. And the only one that's held, held true so far is that, you know, things keep getting pushed back. And, 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 and there might be reason for that. Right. And I'm not saying that the company's not going to do do well in the long run. I just want to see a little bit more execution because it's been a lot of waiting and a lot of measuring Alex's excitement level and talking about, depending on from one call to the next, whether he'll affirm or try to walk away from what the revenue opportunity is and what that means, what even that means in terms of the 80 to $100 million opportunity and if that's revenue or what that is. And so, you know, for me, the problem is all of this is, is theoretical. I think there's good reasons to believe in the, in the theory that Mark says, but I don't make it a top position in my portfolio because I don't trust myself to theorize, you know, what's actually what's actually going on there and to be correct about yeah. it. And, and so to that point, what I'll say is that, and, and look, you're a great analyst in your own right. Um, what, what I've learned over the last 30 years is that when all of the dots connect, you've got a picture. And what we have here is uh, an unequivocal, it's a, it's a bipartisan push by the United States driven by not falling behind the Chinese and the Russians to upgrade and bolster the submarine program uh, of the United States. So that requires, absolutely requires them to make more patches for the submarine uh, tubes that go in. And um, we undoubtedly know that really TPCS um, and uh, the company that messed up on the hatches are the, are the two companies that are best suited to provide those hatches. So, you know, by process of elimination, um, I get to a point where despite the song and dance and fun that everybody has on the earnings call, you know, playing around with, with Alex and the frustration <laughs> that he causes some people, right? In reality, I, I've really never looked at it as a lack of execution as it is. These are really, this is really the only game in town for this particular solution. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it, it's not just cutting some metal in some random shape. Otherwise it wouldn't have been, right. you know, this big mess up that occurred. Um, these are the guys that are trusted to do it. All the dots connect into a picture. Now, from that standpoint, is it execution if the submarine program gets halted by COVID? No execution uh, problems is if you can't make the hatches properly 
or if you have competitors and you lose to those competitors, you know, yeah, and that gets waiting into my for further concerns though, is that, you know, so far they have not been profitable and, and I'm, and I'm trying to get to the bottom. I haven't given up on the company. Believe me when I say that I haven't given up and, and, and I want to think that you're right. And, and, and think there's good reason to believe that. Not just I want to think that, but I, I think there's reason to believe that. But as it relates to execution, the company has had some problems and, and even with some increases in revenue, really hasn't been able to turn a profit. I think there's good reason to think that they will in the future. But I just, it's, it's just a situation where I'd like to see a little bit more of it actually happen before I made it a core position. Again, it yeah. was a core position for a time. Uh, but to do that again, I want to see some actual execution. Yeah, and, and that's that's again where where we're going to differ. Um, I don't think there's been an execution problem at the company, um, you know, at least not by my definition of execution. Okay, I think the company has uh, executed well enough to be the supplier that is trusted for this solution. Um, what has happened is they have not been able to ramp up revenues because. The submarine program has not ramped up itself, and that's happening now. You know, we're coming out of COVID. Uh, the suppliers are, you know, figuring out, you know, getting all their ducks back in a row. We're getting things production ramped back up. That doesn't happen overnight, and you know, we're going to see those orders come in. And when they start ramping up the production of submarines, you're going to see TPCS be a beneficiary of that. I'd like to get uh, Brian uh, to, to say a few things on this. I know he's done his own homework on this and has formed a, a pretty strong opinion. Uh, basically comes down to Mark being right, that the business is coming. We just need to be patient. Brian, did I get that right? You did, Scott. And, uh, you know, I have to continually kind of remind myself because the pace of their revenue growth, the pace of their backlog, you know, I think has frustrated a lot of investors. But when you go back and look, you know, the Virginia class is 10 boats. Only the first two are uh, being worked on, at least my understanding. And the first one didn't have the Virginia payload module, which is a very big opportunity for TPCS. And then there's two additional blocks that are to follow that. You also have the Columbia class, which the company has stated represents a doubling of demand. And the funding is really just in the initial procurement stages for the Columbia class. So you really are in the earliest of early uh, innings here. And it's, it's, uh, it can be frustrating, but I guess I keep reminding myself that uh, there's a lot of causal explanations, whether it's congressional delays, whether it's uh, in appropriations from the primes, whether it's some of the welding issues. Uh, the good news is they've also qualified for some... Uh, some new parts. So I think that uh, when things start going at a more steady state, uh, they're, in, they're in a great position. Um, I've got another question I wanted to uh, throw back to, to Mark, which was, uh, let's, let's assume the uh, Stadco acquisition does happen. In addition to, I guess, what most folks would feel is an annuity stream of revenues that you, you come, that you'll be getting through uh, tech precision, you also have the possibility that they're an attractive acquisition candidate. If Stadco, if the Stadco, Stadco acquisition happens, how do you feel that impacts their appeal as a potential acquisition candidate with those uh, two entities? Sure. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think you make a great point. Uh, you know, I'll frame it this way. 
Does it make them an obvious candidate? I'd say no. Um, I don't think there's a, a, a sense of urgency to acquire TPCS now or uh, you know after the integration of Stadco. However, the level of attractiveness of acquiring TPCS will go up significantly upon the full integration of Stadco. Um, the reasons, not the least of which is it will be a substantially larger company. So, you know, that's really what it comes down to is, you know, the next layer up from, uh, you know, subcontractor to contractor to end customer. Uh, these are large entities and they're not going to spend their time, you know, buying this little company or that little company. But uh, when you have a couple of those companies merge together to make something a little more substantial and particularly in something that has been a uh, hot button for them in terms of parts, right? Hearkening back to the competitor that, that, that almost stalled the entire supply chain. Um, it's better to have something like that in house where you can make sure that a mess up like that won't happen again. Okay, that, that was great with TPCS. Mark, let's move to the final element of today's podcast. Uh, what are you focused on this week? What are you focused on today? What, what is timely within your investment uh, portfolio and uh, uh, current thinking? Yeah, so, you know, for the last uh, couple of months, in fact, uh, in my own uh, blog site and YouTube channel, uh, I've been warning folks that the rebound in the market is starting to get long in the tooth. And um, that's proven accurate, not uh, in the case of looking at the NASDAQ or the S&P 500, which are, have been making uh, new all-time highs, but in looking at the Russell 2000 smaller cap index, which is down uh, roughly 8%, pretty close to correction territory uh, over the last couple of months. So um, I myself, being somebody who's over the last 30 years made his money off of investing in small caps, where I believe that it's a place where you can easily make 40% a year, double your money every two years. Um, the downside to that is when the market is weak, uh, you could you can lose money. And uh, for me, that's okay because I believe in the companies and the valuations I'm buying at. But if you can avoid losses, hey, why not, right? So um, what I have been um, espousing with my followers is a strategy where if you don't like what you see in the market, don't sell your stock, sell the market. It's common sense, right? Um, don't sell something you like just because you there's something that you don't like. Uh, so you know there are hedging strategies that can be employed. Um, there are services out there like Hedgeye that uh, let you know, you know which markets are most likely to be weak, which sectors are most likely to be weak in, in different scenarios. And you can uh, actually put hedges or shorts in place. And I know both of those terms might be a little foreign or even intimidating to shareholders, uh, retail investors out there. But it's very important to learn if you want to make those big money returns. Um, and you know, just as a, a quick example of that, uh, there have been a couple times in history, three times in fact, where I went significantly net short the market where I had more shorts, more hedges than I had investments. And one was at the top of the internet bubble. One was at the top of the real estate bubble. And one was uh, at the onset of COVID. And 
in each of those cases, it made a life-changing difference in terms of how much money I came out of those uh, situations with versus um, everybody else. And think about it this way. When the internet bubble popped, the market went down 40% for two years in a row. So if you were invested in the market, you ended up, uh, your, every dollar that you had in the market uh, dropped down to like 36 cents. Well, I was, I was short the market 100% for two years. And so I made 40% for each of those two years, ending those two years with $2 for every dollar that I had invested. Um, so, you know, you could have either come out of there with 30 something cents or $2. That's the order of magnitude difference. Yeah. Where are we in your thinking then, Mark? Are we close to a position where you might um, find yourself with a longer short position than long position? No. Uh, so the, the whole idea behind hedging is to protect your long positions. We've discussed a few names here, Air, Smith, and TPCS, all of which are three of my top five positions. And I don't want to sell any of those. I think each one of those stocks can triple in value uh, over the next 12 months, if not sooner. Why would I want to sell that under any condition? I've had situations, and TPCS was one of them a couple of years ago, where the market dropped 20% in the fourth quarter of 2008. And in the midst of that drop, TPCS went up 20 plus percent. So, um, you know, at the onset of that quarter, uh, I did see some issues that I said, I need to protect my TPCS position. Let me short the Russell 2000, the small cap index against this small cap stock that I own. Well, what ended up happening instead of, you know, losing money uh, or selling TPCS and missing out on that 20% run, I made 20% on TPCS and I made 20% on the Russell 2000 because I was short the Russell. So that's, um, you know, the, the idea of actually having more shorts than longs is counterintuitive when all you're trying to do is protect your longs. Um, so long story short, uh, going extra short, going more short than long is something that I reserve for crisis situations that are impending, as was the case with the internet bubble uh, getting ready to burst, uh, financial bubble about to burst, and COVID uh, coming, coming on. It would have to be something like that for me to, to go net short. Great. Thanks for that. Uh, that's all for today. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Brian. We are Breakout Investors. This podcast is meant as an easy on-ramp to understanding the research and collaboration we do. Please join us for discussion on this podcast and for other breakout ideas on our discussion platform at app.breakoutinvestors.com. Neither Breakout Investors nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information presented by this podcast and any liability, including in respect to direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, therefore is expressly disclaimed. The views on this podcast expressed are those of the speaker and not Breakout Investors. No one on this podcast is an investment advisor and no one is providing investment advice. Before investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Thank you for listening.